Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Now, I told Robin yesterday that uh, Eliana's birth gave me one more reason to love September, right, and the fall. And, uh, and I do enjoy this time of year for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because of the excitement that comes with both college and professional football. How many football fans do we have in the house? All right, we got a few out there, amen. How many of you, you don't care, you're just ready for it to be over already? Right, there's a few of you, amen. The devil rebuke you. <laughs> amen. But it's a great time. I love the actual games. I love cheering for my teams, even like one of my teams, University of Virginia, they're 0-5. I'm still cheering for them, amen. They need a whole lot of help. I love the backstories of some of the players. I just love the whole uh, thing about football. I love the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And one of the stories this year, if you've been following football at all, has been a, a story about a college football coach, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, amen? And the turnaround that he has made as a head coach at the University of Colorado. Now, it's been a fun story to watch this year. And although they've now lost a couple of games, make no mistake, people are still following the story of Coach Prime and the Colorado Buffaloes. Now, a couple of weeks ago, one of the big stories involved one of their star players, a guy by the name of Travis Hunter, who really is probably the best player that they have on their team. It was in a game against their arch rival, Colorado State. He was injured. He suffered a lacerated liver. He had some bruised ribs. He took a really hard hit. But what makes Hunter so unique is that not only is he exceptionally good, but he is something that they call a two-way player. He's rare. He can play on both offense and defense, both with excellence. Now, Hunter's absence has been significant. They've lost both of their games since then. They lost to Oregon. They lost yesterday to USC in a close game. But what Hunter said a couple of weeks ago really stood out to me, and it showed how bad he wanted to get back onto the football field. He sent a bold text request to his coach that Coach Saunders decided he was going to share with the team. In that text message, this is what uh, Hunter said to Coach Prime. He said, I need to play this week. We need to get everything we can so I can get back on the field. I'm not taking no for an answer. Wow, right? Now, Coach Sanders obviously misses his star player being on the field. Uh, he told me, by the way, he did take no for an answer. <laughs> uh, the coach didn't let him play for good reasons. He had to heal up. But he said, I got to get back on the field. Don't you just love a guy, a person that says, I want to get back in the game. Amen. Don't you love somebody that has fire in their belly like that. Amen. I'm not taking no for an answer. They interviewed Hunter that week, and he said, it's a good thing the doctors stopped me because if there were no doctors, I'd still be out there playing. I want that guy on my team. Yeah. 
right? I want a guy like that on my team. I want a guy who wants to play so bad that he can look past the pain, he can look past the moment, and he wants to win so bad that he's willing to put everything on the line. Luckily, his coach had more wisdom than his zeal, and he kept him out. But when I heard about Hunter's request, it inspired me, and it got me thinking. And this is the title of my sermon today. Are you ready? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Sir Isaac Newton's first law of motion states, everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Everything, in other words, stays the same unless it is compelled to change. So my question today is, how bad do you want to change? How bad do you want to get back into the game if you've been out of the game a while? What do you need to change? How bad do you want to move forward? I think we all, first, first we recognize within ourselves the need for change. Can everybody say amen? amen? And by the way, if you don't recognize the need for change in your life, that's the first thing you need to change in your life. <laughs> Because we all have areas in our lives that we can change, right? Areas we can improve on. We all hope and pray for the Lord to take us maybe to that next level or to do better or to live better lives. Yet we also recognize that the change that we usually need to make the most in our lives doesn't come easy. It's not easy to achieve. Sometimes it's just easier to stay in a state of rest like Isaac Newton said, until something is forced on us that compels us to change. Now, there's a cool story in the Bible about change and how bad do you really want it. It's in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, and I want us to go there. John chapter 5, verse 1. And let me give you the backstory here. Jesus has just gone up from Cana of Galilee to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the great religious feasts, and he encounters this man who needs a change in his life. Now, here's the story. Later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a special feast, and in Jerusalem, there's a pool that is covered with five porches, which is called Bethesda in the Hebrew language. This pool is near the sheep gate. Many sick people were lying on the porches beside the pool. Some were blind, some were crippled, some were paralyzed, and they waited for the water to move. Sometimes an angel of the Lord came down to the pool and stirred up the water. After the angel did this, the first person to go into the pool was healed from any sickness he had. No wonder so many people were laying around this pool. A man, verse 5, was lying there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw the man and knew that he had been sick for such a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? The sick man answered, sir, there's no one to help me get into the pool when the water starts moving. While I'm coming to the water, someone else, I can almost hear him whining it. Someone else always gets in before me. You know, I can hear the whine in his voice. Then Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was well. He picked up his mat and he began to walk. And that day happened to be a Sabbath day. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, today is the Sabbath. It's against our law for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. Aren't you always just irritated a little bit with all the religious people that want to stop God Amen. from doing his thing? Amen. Verse 11, but he answered, well, the man who made me well told me, pick up 
your mat, and walk. All right, so here's the story. Jesus, he walks into the city of Jerusalem. He comes to this pool, the pool of Bethesda, also known as Bethsaida, which means literally uh, house of mercy. And all these people are laying around. They're laying around the pool. They're waiting for the Bible talked about, an angel that would come. Now, by the way, some of your Bibles does not, it doesn't have verse 4 in them. And you might be wondering, well, why is that so? Some translators thought that that verse was added after the original manuscripts, and I'm not going to get into all that. I just want you to know if that's not in your Bible, that's why it's not in there. But it was said that at certain times an angel of the Lord would come down to the pool, disturb the face of the water, and the very first person who could manage to get into the water would be healed. Now, man, people were coming in this pool out of desperation, out of hope, out of a belief that maybe they could be the one by the pool when the angel comes so that a miracle could happen in their life. So it was in this atmosphere that Jesus shows up. But I want you to notice something. He does not just indiscriminately begin to start walking through the crowd healing people, right? He doesn't just start walking around, touching people, blessing them. Instead, the Bible says he was drawn to one guy in particular. This one guy who'd been sick for 38 years. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us uh, the nature of his disease, what caused him to be in that condition, but it just says that he was not able to walk. The Bible also doesn't tell us, you know, why, among so many others that were at the pool, why Jesus chose this man. I started thinking about it. You know, Jesus is 33, or somewhere between 30 and 33, and this guy's been lame for 38 years, and Jesus probably grew up And every time he would go past that pool, maybe he saw that guy over there. I don't know. Maybe he's been watching this man in his misery for all this time. I really don't know the reason why. But I want you to notice something really interesting. So Jesus walks up to him, and he asks him this really strange question. Do you want to get well? I'm sure the guy probably thought, well, duh. (laughs) Look at me. I've been here 38 years. What do you mean do I want to get well? Now, see, it might seem like a crazy question to ask somebody who's been paralyzed for 38 years. But by the way, Jesus never asked a question without a good reason. Amen? So here he is. He's been laying there for 38 years. He's waiting for a miracle. Do you want to get well? What a question. Now, here's something I know. In this house today, and in the 11 o'clock and the 9 o'clock service as well. There are a lot of people here for many different reasons. There's some of you that are watching online right now. You're watching this message for many different reasons. Some people come to church because, you know, this is what you've done your whole life. Maybe some of you are here today because friends and family invited you. Maybe you're here because it's kind of fun to wear a jersey to church on Sunday. By the way, next week we're wearing basketball jerseys. No, I'm kidding. Amen. Not really. Or maybe you're just checking out churches. But I also know that for some, whether it's here at Life Church or maybe it's where you usually worship, maybe you've been coming to the pool for a long time and you've been waiting for something to happen in your life. And you've been waiting for something to go on. Some of you, maybe you've been coming for a long time. You've been praying a lot of prayers. You've been making a lot of effort. You've been sitting by the pool waiting, waiting for something mystical or something magical to take place. Something that will perpetuate a change in your life. Some of you, maybe you're here and you're in need of a legitimate miracle. 
need a touch of God. You need God to do something in your life. Well, I want somebody to know, for some of you, you may literally be right on the edge of your miracle. Amen. Come on. Don't give up now. My question is, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? We need to be like Travis Hunter. Coach, put me back in the game. And I'm not going to take no for an answer. Amen. It might be a financial miracle that you need. It might be a physical healing that you need. It might be a powerful spiritual transformation that you need. An empowerment, the Bible says, that comes from on high. But my question is, how bad do you want it? Maybe there's an addiction that you need to break. Maybe there's a cloud of depression that just keeps hanging over your head. Amen. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be healed. How bad do you want it? Or in the words of Jesus, do you really want to get well? Do you want it enough to be like Jonah that I preached about last week and cry out to God? from the dark place of your situation? Do you want it enough to repent of your sins and cry out to God and ask for forgiveness? Do you want it enough maybe to run to an altar and say, Jesus, change me? Because maybe you've been waiting for a long time by the pool, but guess what? Jesus has showed up here at the pool today. Hallelujah. So let me start with the basic question that Jesus asked. John 5 and verse 6. When Jesus saw the man and knew that he had been sick for such a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? See, it's such a powerful question because I think that Jesus is pointing out something that we cannot miss, but we sometimes miss. Are you ready? Even though you need to change, do you really want to change? It might be obvious to everybody around you. It might be obvious to your family, to your friends. It might even be obvious to you. But the question is, do you really want to change? Now, see, that was an odd question for a guy that's been laying crippled for 38 years. But I got to ask you, do you really want to change? And how bad do you want it? Because one thing that I have learned is that not everybody who's sitting by the pool wants the angel to stir the water. Come on, somebody. Not everybody who's at the healing service really wants to be healed. Some people are more in love, hear me, with the idea of change than actual change. We like the idea of being fit, right? But not enough to change our diet and exercise. We like the idea of being free from addiction, but maybe not enough to change our habits or or our friends. Come on, somebody or to get some accountability, or to join a support group. We like the idea of restored relationships, but maybe not enough to say I'm sorry, or that I'm willing to compromise. And by the way, if you're married, compromise is not a bad word. Amen? It's saying I'm willing to bend before we break. Or maybe I'm willing willing to go to count. See, we like the idea of living holy, but not enough to pray, or to read the Bible. Or maybe to repent when the Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts. And for the third week in a row, what is repenting? Changing my thoughts. See, some folks that come to church, they love Jesus, but they don't really want to change. Amen? Some folks just like to hang out by the pool. Now, by the way, when I go on vacation, my family, we love to do beach vacations, right? But I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm the guy that likes to hang out by the pool. 
I love to look at the beach. I love to walk on the beach. I love to hear the beach. I do not like to get in the beach. I like to swim in the pool. I want clearly defined boundaries, clear water, no waves, no sharks, no fish, no undertow. Come on. I love the beach. I love looking at the beach. Amen. I love sitting around by the pool. But did you know in a spiritual sense and applying this story from uh, about the, the, the crippled guy, some people, though, we love the idea of change, but we really would rather just sit around the edge of the pool. We love it when the, the water stirs and somebody gets their healing. Woo, man, God bless. To God be the glory. But we're just content to sit by the pool. How bad do you want to be well? And how bad do you want it? Amen? See, for some people, going to church is just like going to the grocery store. It's just like going to the gas station. It's just like going to the doctor, to the post office. It's just something we do. But in the words of Jesus, do you want to get well today? Do you really want to change? Now, see, I know that sounds like a, a rhetorical question. Do I really want to be changed? But believe it or not, it is very possible that that guy did not want to be changed. Think about it with me a minute. In the past 38 years, this man has been a beggar who lived by the charity of others. If he was healed, he loses all that charity, and now he's got to provide for himself. By the way, in the Middle East and in Bible times and even in some places today, a person who was healed, they lose that good living, and, and, and sometimes people will even fake sickness in order to live off the charity of others. I met a, a child in the orphanage that we support, Ima's home in the Philippines. I met the child who their parents had had their legs bound from birth all the way up until the age of three or four years old, pretending that their child was crippled just so they could beg on the streets. It took that child months, several months, to even learn how to walk because somebody was pretending and putting on a facade. See, do you really want to be changed? Look around us, and I don't want to sound political, but just look at America in 2023. There's a lot of people who would rather not work and just live off the system to get jobs and provide for themselves and their families. Amen? So don't tell me everybody wants to be healed. A lot of people are totally content living at a level of mediocrity. I need a little help in this house today. Amen? Come on. Do you really want to be well? And by being healed, this man was going to be venturing out into the unknown. He might lose his present provision. He's going to have to be responsible for himself. He's going to enter a whole new arena. Yes, he's going to get a completely new life. Certainly one with all kinds of responsibilities. But do you really want to change? See, after 38 years, maybe he just accepted his condition. Maybe he was just content to just scratch along. Matter of fact, did you notice he didn't answer Jesus' question? Do you really want to be healed? Well, every time I try, somebody beats me to the water. I'm looking around. There's nobody here to help me. I don't want to go too deep down this path, but there's a lot of people. You need to quit waiting on somebody else to help you up. You just got to get up. You just need to get up. Because if you keep waiting for somebody else to do it for you, it's not going to happen. How bad do you want it? 
Do you want to get well? But see, folks, if we're being honest with ourselves, we resist change because change is not easy. As a matter of fact, most people really only embrace change if it benefits them. Are there any honest people in the house today? And some people still struggle with change, even if it benefits them, if they perceive that the cost is too high. Well, I could see how this would benefit me, but costs too much. There's too much sacrifice. There's too much work. There's too many personal demands. It's going to require too much. It reminds me of when I was growing up, I used to love to read, we called them the funny papers, the comics. Amen. I used to love to read the comics. We got the newspaper. It would be in there every day. One of my favorite ones was uh, Charlie Brown with Snoopy, that whole character. And Charlie Brown, one time he said to Linus, he said, perhaps you can give me an answer, Linus. What would you do if you felt like nobody liked you? You know, Linus thought about it for a minute. He said, you know, I, I think I would look at myself objectively and see what I could do to improve. That's my answer, Charlie Brown. To which Charlie replied, I hate that answer. I hate that answer. See, the reality is, guys, we don't like when we have to look at ourselves objectively. And we don't like the fact that sometimes we got to look and see, what do I need to improve? That's not a solution that excites us. I hate that answer, right? I hate that answer. So what are some reasons we resist change? Let me just give you a few. Uh, they're not on the screen. So if you want to write these down, you can. One reason we resist change, we resist change when change is not self-initiated. Right. Amen. Somebody that does group therapy told me after service, they said they have a group that they meet with, and, uh, and it's a group of people who are court appointed, and it's a group of men, and they said, as soon as all those men that have told they have to come to therapy by court, they come, they're all mad. You know why they're mad? Somebody made them come, right? And how many of you love change when your wife tells you you got to change? How many of you love change when your husband tells you, you got to fix this? How many of you love change when you no, none of us like change when it's not self-initiated. Here's another reason we resist change, when our routine is disrupted. Right? We're creatures of habit. Habits, by the way, are just, they're not instincts, they're acquired reactions. We can learn our habits, therefore, we can unlearn them, Amen. First we form our habits, then our habits form us. But we don't like when our routines disrupt. We resist change because of the fear of the unknown. Change means traveling in uncharted waters, and this causes our insecurities to rise up. And many people, they're more uncomfortable. They're more comfortable with their old problems rather than new solutions. Man, that's a sad place to live. Amen? Fear always hinders change. We also resist change because we're afraid of failure. The greatest mistake a person can make is being afraid to make one. Amen. Because hear me, failure is always a part of the fabric of any sustained success. you got to not be afraid to fail. We resist change when we're not sure if the reward matches the effort. Hmm. Let's see. I love the thought of being skinny, but I also love tacos and donuts. <laughs> Let me think about this for a while, right? Is the, is the reward going to match the effort? Somebody just told me last week, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they shared with me that they read a study that talked about the benefits of living healthy, eating a healthy diet, exercising your whole life. And I don't know where they come up with this stuff, but it's an interesting talking point anyway. They said, they compared it, and they said, 
that you, if you live healthy your entire life, eating right, doing right, exercising right, you may extend anywhere from three to five years to your life. And you know what my first reaction was? Let's see, 75 years of pizza, donut, tacos versus 80 years of broccoli. Can you give me 24 hours to pray about that, please? <laughs> you know, because right now, I ain't going to lie, door number one looks pretty good to me. I, you know, I'll take that. Give me my ice cream, right? See, but we, we don't like change because we weigh it. It's just, let's see, uh, is it really worth the effort? Is it worth the sacrifice? We also resist change if we're negative thinkers. Amen. You know what they need to put on the tombstone of every negative thinker? I expected this. <laughs> I expected this. Because it's true. Negative thinkers hate change, regardless of what's going on. And a negative thinker, they're always going to find disappointment in the future. It's always a glass half empty kind of thing. That negative people do not like change. We resist change if we're married to our traditions. Amen. Here's a joke about tradition. Are you ready? Four traditional guys go to change the light bulb. You know how many it takes? Four of them. I already messed my joke up. <laughs> One to change the light bulb, three to talk about how great the old light bulb was, right? It's true. Now hear me, folks. Traditions are to serve man, not man to serve traditions. And we need to understand, sometimes we hold on to stuff when change will propel us in a new direction. Don't be afraid to reject tradition sometimes and embrace change. But let me also remind you, don't tear down a fence until you find out why it was put up. Come on, somebody. You better make sure you know why that fence was put up in the first place. How many of you guys who are my age remember Earl Weaver? Can I just see a show of hands? Earl Weaver, famous baseball manager. Man, the umpires hated Earl Weaver. He would come out almost every game and yell at the umps. One of my favorite lines, one of his favorite attack lines that I loved about Earl Weaver, he would look at an umpire and then he would go, is this as good as it gets or is it going to get any better? Is this as good as you're going to be or can it get any better? So I want to ask without the animosity of Earl Weaver, I want to ask everybody in this room, are you as good as you're going to get? Or can you be better than you are? See, because I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I know I can be better. I can get better. I can grow better. I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. I can be a better grandfather. I can be a better pastor. I can take better care of my body. Come on, somebody. I can take better care of my health. I can be a good steward of what God has given me. I can be better. But here's the question. How bad do you want it? Jesus said, do you really want to get well? Yeah, I know you're sick, but do you want to get well? Do you want to do what it takes to get well? Right. Howard Hendricks, in his book, Teaching to Change Lives, wrote some powerful words about analyzing ourselves. Let me read it to you, and I quote. He said, if you would, please grab a pen and write down somewhere in the margins of this page your answer to this question. How have you changed lately? In the last week, let's say, or the last month, the last year, can you be very specific or must your answers be incredibly vague? You say you're growing. Okay, how? Well, you say in all kinds of ways. Great. 
Name one. You see, effective teaching comes only through a changed person. The more you change, the more you want to become an instrument of change in the life of others. And if you want to become a change agent, you also must change. Amen. All right, we, we've agreed, I think, that we need to change, but wanting to change is not enough. You've got to have a strategy for change. You've got to have a plan for change. Again, let me go back to the theology of peanuts. Charlie Brown goes to Linus. He said, for as long as I've lived, whenever I put on my shoes, I've always put on the left one first. Then suddenly, last week, I decided to make a change. I put the right one on first. I did it every day this week. I've been putting my right shoe on first. And you know what? My life hasn't changed one bit. (laughs) Charlie, you need a better plan. Come on, you got to do more than just this just changed. I remember one of the most famous scenes from, uh, from Archie Bunker, All in the Family, one of the greatest TV scenes ever, when Archie and Lamont get an argument about how to put shoes and socks on. Lamont was always, he would put his sock on, and then he would put a shoe on. Then he would put a sock on, and then he would put a shoe on. And Archie insisted you need to put both socks on and then both shoes on. And they were arguing and trying to prove each other. No, no, you need a better strategy. You need a plan if you want to change. So if you want it bad enough, let me give you a few things. I am going to put these on the screen. I want to give you a strategy for change, some things that we need to understand and embrace. Here it is. Number one, when you change your thinking, you change your beliefs. Now, I know I've been talking about this for the last three weeks, but the Lord must know we need this. Change the way you think, and you can change your beliefs. First of all, what's a belief? A belief is a habit of mind in which confidence becomes a conviction that we embrace. Something we're confident in that becomes a conviction that we embrace. Folks, if I could do just one thing for most of you here today, I would encourage you to change the way you think. William James said, that which holds our attention determines our actions. So what's holding your attention? That's going to determine your actions. What are you thinking about? Let me give you something great to think about. It comes right out of the Bible. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine, good things in others. Can I just throw this in? This isn't in my sermon, but I want to say it right here. Some of us, we need to, and with people around us, start thinking about the fine, good things in other people and quit always finding fault in everybody that's around you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, every single person, it doesn't matter how good or how bad, everybody's got a grain of good in them. My question is, are you looking for coal or are you looking for gold? Because you got to move away a whole lot of dirt before you see gold. My old pastor used to say, there's gold in them thy pews. (laughs) Amen. So what what does the scripture say? Dwell on the fine good things in others. If you can only find one good thing, dwell on that one good thing. And then he wraps it up. He says, think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. Think about all the things you can praise God for and be glad. Last, last night we were in the hotel room. I'm not the hotel room. Oh, the hospital room. Amen. We were in the hospital room and I looked around and I told the family, I said, the most important people in my entire world are all in this one room. 
Lauren, Evan, brand new baby girl, 10 pounds. Man, she's a citation. You get that. She's a keeper, bro. You get a citation if you catch a 10 pounder. Amen. Lauren, Evan, Eliana, Xavier, Lindsay, Mason, uh, Ava, Robin, we're all, and I just looked around. I said, my whole universe is in this room. Now, I love all of y'all, but you're, you're the next circle. That's my circle. Those are my people. You know what? Anytime life gets hard, you know what I think about? My circle. The good things of God that I've got to celebrate. Amen. 57 amazing years of life. If I die tomorrow, don't nobody feel sorry for me. I've lived a good life. I'm a blessed man. Amen. And that's what I'm going to think about. <coughs> so how should we try to think? But please, if I die tomorrow, shed a few tears, okay? Please, because I will be watching from heaven, amen. <laughs> how should we try to think positive things? Think about things that allow you to uh, focus on the best. Think creatively. This allows you to find answers when other people quit looking, amen? Think bottom line. This allows me to prioritize and get rid of busy work. Think practically. This allows me to apply real principles and practices to everyday life. Come on, think about all those things, amen? Because great thinking will lead you to excellence. I'm going to brag on somebody. This seems stupid to many of y'all, but you know what? We've done a lot of work up here on the platform lately, and I'm, I'm going to bring your attention over here. Cameraman, follow me over here. Y'all see this black wire that's hanging out of the wall? Well, that wire is really white. And the last time that wire was out, it annoyed the fire out of me because I couldn't stand it. And I walked in church this morning and I looked up and somebody took some black electrical tape and wrapped that wire. And you know what? I looked at Eddie and I said, Eddie, who wrapped that wire? That's a leader right there. And he said, that was Craig. So I'm going to give Craig a big shout out right now. Now you may think, oh, that's dumb. You sell them. No, no, no. You got to start thinking. How do I improve the environment around me? How do I make little changes that a lot of people don't even notice, but I notice because it's just a little bit more excellence in my life? How bad do you want to change? Number two. When you change your beliefs, you change your expectations. See, expectations is the knowledge that we can do something. It's the inner feeling that we, are, uh, we can undertake what we accomplish. And for the most part, you know, all of us, we got the ability to look at something and think whether or not we can do it or not. But when you believe, when you have an expectation, there's power in that. Our eyes are open. Our opportunities become plain. Our visions can become reality. Because hear me, and some of you may disagree, but I'm just going to say, nobody has to stay chained to their past. Nobody. If you believe that, the devil has told you that, and that is a lie. If you believe that, some loser has told you that, and that is a lie. Amen. You don't have to stay where you are. You don't stay, have to stay how you are. You can break free from your past. Amen. You got to start believing that change is possible. You need to believe that change is profitable. It is worth the effort. It is worth the sacrifice. It is worth the sweat that I put in it. Amen. I believe that God has a plan for my life. I believe that God wants me to fulfill that plan. I believe that God will help me succeed in that plan. Amen. 
You got to do that. Here's number three. When you change your expectations, you change your behavior. If you have high expectations, your attitude will improve. Your behaviors will change. Positive expectations produce excitement, desire, confidence, enthusiasm, commitment. Amen. Everybody say behaviors. For like the last 20 years of my life, I've had this never-ending evolution of plus 20, minus 20 pounds. Anybody know the journey that I'm on, right? You know, and I, I, I mean, I'm not embarrassed. I'll, my, my goal is to get under 200 pounds, but I'm always hovering between 205 and 220. That's just been my life. And every time I get over 205, I can start feeling it. And then, I, man, I'll go on whatever. I'll do something, and then I'll get down under it, but I never stay there. And I remember one time I was doing really well, and I lost a bunch of weight. And I told somebody in the church, a sister that I was close to, I said, you know what? I got all these clothes that are too big for me. I'm going to put them in the attic. She said, don't do it, Pastor. <laughs> I said, why not? You know, really, I started thinking, about, we all should have three boxes of clothes, past, present, future, right? <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> but she said, don't do it, Pastor. I said, why? She said, don't give yourself a way of escape. <laughs> I said, well, what if I put that weight on? She said, that's why you don't want to save those clothes. I said, well, you know, and to God be the glory, I threw a whole bunch of stuff away. Six months later, I went shopping again, amen, but that's another story altogether. But you know, it started making me think. I was already setting myself up for when this journey was going to go the wrong direction. I'm going to lose this weight and keep it off, but just in case, I've got a tub in the attic that's got all these pants. Come on, somebody. If you really want to change, you've got to change your behavior. Amen. I heard a true story about a pastor. True story. I knew this guy. He started a missions church. He was very frustrated. He was discouraged. One of his pastor friends came to him. He said, what are you doing? What's your summer been like? He said, I'm really frustrated. He said, I knocked on over 1,000 doors this summer, and not one person came to church. So his friend asked him, it was coming up on summer again. He said, so what are you going to do this summer? He said, I'm going to knock on 2,000 doors this summer. <laughs> what? You get an A for effort, but you get an F in the thinking department. Come on. Some of us, we keep doing what we've always done. And we wonder why we're getting the same results. You know the cliche as well as I do. If you always do what you've always done, what? You always get what you've always got. How bad do you want change? What behaviors do you need to change? What modifications do you need to make? Because hear me, don't wait for your circumstances to change before you change your behavior. I have learned my circumstances never change until I change my behavior. Amen? So number four, when you change your behavior, you can change your life. See, most people feel to see, say, fail to see the ongoing nature of life. Isabel Moore once said, life is a one-way street. No matter how many detours you take, none of them lead back. And once you know and accept that, life becomes much simpler. Amen? Life gives us time and space. It is up to us how we fill it. Because, folks, you, you don't get instant replays in life. You only get that in football and baseball and basketball. Maybe they do it in hockey. I don't know. But if you need to make changes in your life, you've got to start making them now. 
praise team and musicians, I want you to come on up. Emerson said this. He said, people are always getting ready to live, but never living. Man, it's so true, right? They're always getting ready to live, but they're never living. Oh, man, you wait till January. Woo! I'm going to go on that diet that I said I was going to go on this past January. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, you wait till 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to knock the ball out of the park this year. I'm going to just have soup and broccoli. You wait. You wait. I'm going to get that box down from the attic that says future. That's the clothes I'm going to be wearing. No. Just planning to live. Why not start right now? Why not start right now? I want to break an addiction, but I've been trying for so long, and I can't get out of it. Keep trying. How bad do you want it? Come on. All of my relationships are messed up. I don't know what to do. I'm about ready to give up. Keep trying. How bad do you want it? My spiritual life is a mess. Guess what? You're in the right place. The pool is here. The water is stirring. But guess what? This isn't the first person in. This is whosoever will. Come. I want you to stand with me all over this house. See, it's not a question of do we need to change. It's a question of what do we need to change and how willing are we to change it? How willing are we to change it? I really, I man, I really want to implore this younger crowd right now, too, that it's in this room. Do the hard work now, and you will reap the dividends later. Come on. Do the hard work now. Do the hard work financially now. Do the hard work relationally now. Do the hard work personally now. Do what you need to do. Amen. And you will reap the reward exponentially. You know the answer to that question, it was a joke about, do I want to choose 75 years of doing whatever I want or 80 years of living? The reality is it's not that simple. The reality is when you start making right choices, the quality of your life changes for eternity. In other words, instead of 75 years of feeling bloated and no energy and just, you can have 80 years, you see what I'm trying to say? Make the right choices now. Say, God, I'm willing to change. But maybe I just need to bump up the desire level. Maybe I just need to bump up. I need to quit waiting for somebody to help me into the pool. And I just need to do what I need. Did you know at the end of that story, John 5, I want you to notice, verse 8. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. Jesus said, stand up. And to some of you right now, your next step is just to stand up and start walking. Jesus said, look, by by the way, don't forget to pick up that mat. Because I don't want you ever coming back to that mat again. I don't want you going back to that old life again. I want you to pick up your mat. I want you to stand up. I want you to start walking. And right now, as we close this service today, we give altar calls in this church. We give you an opportunity to step out from where you are and respond. You can do it in your seat, but there's just something special sometimes about stepping out. So here's what I'm asking you to do. You've already stood up. But I want you to take up that mat, and I want you to walk. And I want you to say, God, 
I know that with your help, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't have to be a slave to those addictions or depressions. You don't have to be a slave to the lies of the enemy. You can say, God, I'm ready for the change. I'm going to open this altar, and as the team begins to sing, I want to give you an opportunity to step out from where you are and say, God, I'm ready. How bad do you want it, though? Do you want to be well? Yeah, I do, but not this week. Yeah, I do, but not now. I've still got some wild oats to stuff. Yeah, no, no, no. How bad do you want it? Would you come? Would you come? Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. No more excuses. No more alibis. I'm willing to take the steps. I'm willing to put in the work. I'm willing to do what is required of me, Lord. Help me to change and be the man that you've called me to be. Help me to change and be the man that you've called me to be.
and to hear the word, but Lord, I just pray right now, give us the courage and the strength to change. Help us, Lord, each person that we're all on our own journeys, we're all in different places, we've all got different obstacles, we've all got different challenges, but God, just give me the courage to move forward and not back. Help me, God, to focus on what's ahead and not what's behind me. Help me to think on whatever things are pure and right just and good. Help me, God, to focus my energy on getting well. And I want it, God, more than anything else. Lord, I just thank you for the men and women in this room. Lord, when we fall, help us to get back up, and we will fall. God, when we mess up, help us to fess up and repent and be honest before you and those that we've offended. Lord, help us to make change a regular part of our life a goal to being better than who we are, to being everything you've called us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.